Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Radio Days. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Here we feature mostly cop and detective shows, plus adventure, plus surprise. You never know, but it's the best from the golden age of radio. We'll guarantee that. For those of you who want non-stop crime buster and detective shows, you can now add 1001 Radio Crime Solvers to your podcast library. That's 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. Brand new for 2023 and growing fast. Enjoy! This case looked refreshing at first. It took me to Milwaukee, the brewing capital of the USA. But it occurred to me later, for a guy who appreciates a good head on a glass of beer, I take lousy care of my own. This is another in the adventures of America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator, Johnny Dollar, starring Charles Russell. At insurance investigation, Johnny Dollar is only an expert. At making out his expense account, he's an absolute genius. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. To Home Office, Ambassador Life and Casualty Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut. Attention, Franklin Haley, General Manager. The following is an accounting of my expenditures during my assignment as bodyguard to your policyholder, Ann Connolly. Or, it may have been love at first sight, but the last sight was down the barrel of a 45 automatic. Expense account, item one. $2.95, one copy of The Case of the Playful Siamese, a novel of detection and suspense. It was a story about a private eye named Dexter Payne. But before I could learn whether poor Dexter was dead or alive at the end of Chapter 1, the phone rang, and there you were, Mr. Haley, telling me I'd leave for Milwaukee on the next plane. So I returned the book to the lending library, bought a copy of my own, and came to your office to find out what my assignment was all about. Oh, oh, come in, Dollar, come in, come in. Thank you. How are you, Mr. Haley? Fine, my boy, fine. Glad to see you again. Sit down, sit down. Thank you. Ah, adding to your store of knowledge, I see. What are you reading? Oh, uh, the, the case of the playful Siamese. Bah, crime fiction, trash. When there's good literature available, why waste your time on such mediocre drivel? What do you think you're playing, Noel Coward? Millions of dollars taken in on it every year. Well, what's the difference so long as you're not taking in? Oh, you bet they'll not get a penny from me. Oh, yes, they will. Huh? What's that? Oh, I said uh, Will. Will uh, Shakespeare, you know. Hamlet, Macbeth, Othello, crime fiction. <clears throat> no comparison. That's different. Anybody knows that. Uh... Well, I guess we'd better get down to business. Your plane leaves in an hour and a half, 6.30. This girl who needs a bodyguard, who is she? And what's she afraid of? Uh, It's a sad, tragic case. The result of a misdirected, uh, surely not faultless life, but nevertheless a situation that demands outside help. There, there now, don't go to pieces. All I asked was what's her name and what's she afraid of. Her name is Anne Connolly. Six years ago, she had the misfortune to fall in love with a man named Neil Grafter, a man of violent passions, jealousy, and so on. He misrepresented himself to her. He plied her with luxuries. Then, practically on the eve of the wedding, he was arrested for grand theft. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, I think I can ad-lib the rest. While he was in prison, she didn't get tired of the luxuries he'd given her, but she did get tired of waiting for him. Well, he had lied to her, and five years is a long time. True. The point is, Grafter's coming out on parole today, and Miss Connolly is terrified at the prospects of her first meeting with him. His violence, you know. Mm-hmm. He once threatened to kill her if she so much as looked at another man. We want you with her when Grafter arrives. Well, why me? Aren't there bodyguards for hire in Milwaukee? We hold a large paid-up policy on her life, and we want her protected. Besides, she's practically penniless. She couldn't even afford to hire a private detective. You know, it's a tragic case. Ben, on the other hand, possibly all her fears are imaginary. Perhaps nothing will happen at all. Look, Mr. Haley, you can count on one thing. If I'm mixed up in it, something will happen. (laughs) Expense accounts, item two, $55.10, airfare, Hartford to Milwaukee. I switched on my reading light, settled back in my reclining seat, and once more buried my nose in the case of the playful Siamese. I should have buried the book. It turned out that Dexter Payne had lived through Chapter One, 
And he really started to live in chapters two and three. A beautiful blonde in a slinky negligee had just made herself comfortable on Dexter's lap. And guess what happened? A fuse on the plane blew, my reading light went out, and I spent the rest of the flight in a dark cabin in a black mood. Expense account, item three, 250. Cab fare, airport to the address of Ann Connolly. Which, uh, for a girl who couldn't afford a detective, was quite a hunk of a dress. Uh, unless she was living on Friends. Good evening. Good evening. In case you are looking for Miss Connolly, she is not here. In fact, she has went out for the entire evening. Oh? Well, I uh, think she's expecting me. At least she sent for me. She sent for you? Yeah. I'm Johnny Dollar from the insurance company. Oh, how dense of me. She did mention in passing that a detective would show up. Step inside, please. Thanks. Just hang up your coat and things. All right. She wishes you to remain until she comes home, which could be any time after the joints close up. Yeah, yeah, sure. And uh, in the meantime, I have been instructed to see that you are comfortable. So uh, what would you care for, a straight slug or a highball? Well, a highball would be fine. Hmm. Step this way, please. Oh, uh, the floor's waxed, so watch that throw rug if you don't wish to land on your ear. Okay, thanks. That's a nice place. Do you own it? Most decidedly not. To me, it is a sweatshop. I am Cora. I am Miss Connolly's personal maid. Personal maid? I agree that I do not look the type. I only accepted the position because I was on my uppers. My regular racket is specialty dancing. Please be seated. Thanks. Uh, Cora, if I may call you Cora. Oh, please do. Cora, as I understand it, uh, Miss Connolly needed a bodyguard, but she couldn't afford to hire one. So uh, she asked the insurance company that holds a policy on her life to supply one. Well, that's me. And now I find out she lives in a house on the right side of the tracks and has a personal maid. I'm confused. Listen, Mr. Dollar. Hmm? It is my opinion that preventive measures should start at home, if you know what I mean. No, I don't. In other words, she needs a bodyguard like I need a foster mother. What do you mean by that? From what I have saw, she has more men hanging around her protector than Princess Margaret. You know, if they were divided into a line in a backfield, they could walk over Notre Dame? Especially a handsome specimen named Ray Merrick, whom she is dating tonight. Well, what about this guy who's coming out on parole? Pardon me? Uh, Neil Grafter. While he was cooling his heels in prison, she was cooling her love for him. And she's afraid of what will happen when she tells him. This is news to me. Of course, I have been in Miss Connolly's employ only a few days. But I have not heard mentioned any kind of a grifter or a stir bum in her past. Now, as regards to your highball, would you care for scotch, bourbon, brandy, soda, or plain water? Make it scotch, soda, and no ice. Um, hey, Cora, if you don't mind a compliment, that outfit you're wearing, naked sandals, quilted skirts, and that uh, sweater make you look less like a personal maid and more like a personal friend of Errol Flynn's. I should live so long, but I thank you for your appreciation. It's part of my condition here that I am allowed access to Miss Connolly's wardrobe. Except for, uh, here, with the same size. Here's your scotch and. Thanks. And, uh, if mm. there's anything else that would add to your comfort while you wait, name it. All I need now is an easy chair and a lamp. I'll get back to the case of the playful Siamese. Pardon me? So there I was, Johnny Dollar, with Johnny Walker in one hand, Dexter Payne in the other, and a few questions simmering in my mind. They really boiled down to one. Namely, what was I doing there? Oh, well. In Chapter 5, Dexter finally found a clue. Yeah, I wish things would work out as easily for me sometime. I was just turning to Chapter 6, but guess what happened? Ann Connolly came home. Good morning, darling. Have a nice chat before you go home. Huh? I'm in. The first thing I noticed about Miss Connolly, after the size of her escort was that there was more similarity between her and Cora than just body measurements. Their hair was the same shade of brown, and at first glance, at least, even their features were the same. Then she saw me. Oh. Oh, you startled me. 
But you must be Mr. Dollar from the insurance company. Check. Oh, this is Mr. Merrick, my lawyer, my friend, Mr. Dollar. How are you? How do you do? I hope you've been comfortable. Thanks, I have. Too comfortable. Usually when I'm sent to guard a body, the body is there to guard. Not out on the town until 2.30 in the morning. Well, of all the... Now, wait, wait. Wait a minute, honey. Uh, We thought it was a smart move, Dollar, to get Ann out of the house and keep her out of it until you got here. All right, Mr. Merrick. While you're in the mood to answer questions, maybe you'll tell me why... With a layout like this and a personal maid, did Miss Connolly turn herself into a charity case? Why didn't she hire a local muscle man? That is none of your business, and if you don't like your work, go back to Hartford now. Go back tonight. And, darling, hold your temper. Now, you'll have to forgive Miss Connolly. Dollar, her nerves are on edge. You can understand that. Uh, Dollar, the fact is that she couldn't afford to hire protection. A, because her funds are low at the moment. B, because there's, well, there's no telling how long she'll need protection. There's no way of knowing when Grafter will show up. Does that answer your question? I had planned a winter in Bermuda. I hope Grafter makes up his mind before the thaw sets in. I only hope you're as sure of yourself as you sound, Mr. Dollar. I try to be. Um, well, I think I'll skip that drink, Ann, now that you're in safe hands. I think I'll go home, get some sleep. Of course, Ray, if you think it's all right. I'll see you tomorrow. Yes, I'll call you in the morning. Uh, Dollar. Yeah? If there's trouble tonight, Ann has my phone number. Oh, thanks very much. But I'd rather have a baseball bat. I learned early in my career that an excellent way to court disaster is to wait for trouble because it usually sneaks up behind you. But it was too late then to go looking for it, so I made the rounds of the house, checking the locks on doors and windows. Then I turned off the lights and hunched myself up on a couch that would have tested the stoicism of a bed-of-nails-type Indian faker and tried to stay awake. I wondered about Dexter Payne. I wondered if the playful Siamese was a cat or somebody from Siam. And I just about made up my mind to duck into the closet with my trusty Ronson and read until the fluid ran out. And guess what happened? A door closed quietly. And a white-robed figure floated toward me. Pardon the intrusion of your privacy, but there are certain things I'd like to hash over with you in secret. Oh, wait till I see if I can straighten my back, Cora, and I'll make room for you on the couch. Many thanks. All right. I hope you don't mind my state of attire, but I didn't bother with the robe in case the noise of the closet door might waken Miss Connolly. That double-talking nail. Oh, here, I'll put my jacket on your shoulders. Thanks, but I can only stay a minute. Listen, Johnny. Hmm? You may think me meddlesome, since it's none of my affair, but I couldn't help it over here. And them two were feeding you a line of downright untruths earlier in the p.m. Well, this is the best news I've had since I got here. Give me more. It was in regard to Miss Connolly's financial standing. I happen to know that dame is as solvent as the state of Wisconsin. Well, on that, I haven't read up. She's fat, and I'm not casting aspersions on my own figure. Oh, please don't. How'd you find this out, Cora? It is not that I make a habit of putting my nose where it does not belong. But when I see a book lying open, I can't keep my eyes away. I know just how you feel. Well, in this case, it happened to be her bank book. And with that balance, she could afford J. Edgar Hoover. Yeah. Why are you telling me all this? Have you got something against her? Mr. Dollar, if you are casting aspersions upon my honesty... It's only a faint suspicion, but you could be trying to talk me into leaving the case and leaving Miss Connolly unprotected. Well, I am thoroughly disappointed. A fine lot of thanks after I braved possible pneumonia. Oh, Cora. It so happens that I told you because I am a strong believer that it is decidedly crummy for anyone to take advantage of their fellow man. Now, look, Cora. But from now on, you can take a flying leap. Cora. If you were dying of thirst, I would... What's that? As I stumbled across the room and into the pitch-black hallway leading to the bedrooms in the rear of the house... I wondered what Dexter Payne would do in a similar situation. To both Dexter and me, life was just a bowl of uncracked nuts, unopened Chinese fortune cakes, and unanswered questions headed up by Who Shot Whom? In just a moment, we will return to the second act of Johnny Dollar, but first... 
The Case of the Paper Stars, a thrilling true story from the police file, starts a three-week serialization on CBS's Gangbusters tonight. Don't miss the first episode of this story of police on the trail of a gang that terrorized three states. Also on CBS tonight, you'll hear the latest adventures of that famous private eye, Philip Marlowe. The adventures of Philip Marlowe and Gangbusters are regular Saturday night features on most of these same CBS stations. Tune in, tune in this call for the shows that you love best of all. Listen carefully, here's the address. It's CBS. Now with our star, Charles Russell, we return to the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Connolly's hysterical screams told me the way to a room, but before I got there, a stream of cold night air blowing into the hall through an open door to another bedroom stopped me. The draft was coming from a smashed-out window, and the smell of cordite that came with it meant that this room had been the shooting gallery. The corner of my eye picked up the corner of a white garage just as a king-sized shadow of a man crossed it, and I went out after him. I made the garage in a dozen heartbeats. Believe me, the way my heart was going, that was record time. And as I skidded around the corner... An arm about the size of a fire hose came out of the darkness, crooked around my neck, and pulled. Uh, face that loomed up above and in front of mine was ugly, bearded, and wild-eyed. So, you're working against me, too. Oh, let go. What the hell's the matter with you? Yeah, sure, I let go. Oh. Oh, you must be Neil Grafter. I didn't kill her, did I? Because she wasn't in her bed. Oh, where was she? With you? No, she wasn't with me. What's the matter with you, anyway? So she went sour on you. Happens every day. They even write songs like Don't Cry Joe about it. Look, you spent enough time in prison to learn not to like it. Why set yourself up to go back for the rest of your life? You were smart enough to get out on parole. Why don't you get smart enough to pull yourself together? Prison? I don't remember any prison. I forget things sometimes. Oh, but... Uh... I, I could ask the doctor. No. No, not anymore. Uh, who are you? Another one of her men? Look, uh, Neil, why don't we go someplace where it's more comfortable than this, huh? What? Someplace nice and warm, and we'll talk. Oh, huh? no. Oh, no. Everybody tries to play tricks on me. Nice and warm, with bars on the windows. People making noise all over the place. Well, you're not going to stop me. Nobody is. Why don't you let me help you, then? Come on. That's what the doctor kept saying. Uh, you're a doctor. Well, I don't need any help. I can do it myself. Now, calm down, Grafter. With my own hands. Here, I'll show you, doctor. <laughs> should I kill you? Uh, don't help me. Just stay away from me. He went. And what's more, I watched him go. One, I didn't have enough strength to get off the ground. Two, if, if I'd had the strength, my extreme dislike of being choked to death would have argued me out of going after him. Three, the guy was obviously nuts. When I finally could make it, I staggered back to the house. You can turn on the lights, Miss Connolly. He's what? gone. No, wait a minute. On a second thought, maybe we'd better make sure all the shades are down. He might come back. might say he saved my life. At least when he got halfway through the job, he changed his mind about killing me. You talked to Neil? I tried to, but he didn't understand anything I said. And Miss Connolly, he didn't talk about wardens and paroles as in prisons. He talked about doctors and barred windows and noisy people as in mental hospitals. <laughs> Do I translate that to him that he's off his rocket? Cora, please, go over there and sit down, will you? I'll get to you later. Well, 
help. Pardon me. Just pretend I'm elsewhere someplace. After all, it was only my bed that he blasted. Did you hear that, Miss Connolly? Yes. Yes, I know it was a horrible thing to do, having Cora sleep in my room. I was half crazy with fear. I... Oh, why doesn't Ray get here? He promised to hurry. Maybe we can air some of the linen before he arrives. Instead of being in prison, which was a story I got, Grafter was in a hospital for the criminally insane, nursing a big yen to ventilate your head. Is that right? Please, I... Yes. Yes, that's the truth. He escaped a month ago. A month ago? Yes. The doctors notified the police here that I was in danger, and they supplied a 24-hour guard for the house. But after a month, they... They decided Neil had gone someplace else, so they withdrew the guard. Oh, great. So the only people left who cared more about your fate than they did about mine was your insurance company. Well, we had to do something, but I didn't have any insurance. What? So Ray bought a policy for me, and then we contacted the company. Uh-huh. Legal blackmail, huh? Which brings to mind a meaty little question. Did you lie to the general manager, Franklin Haley, about where and what Grafter really was? Or did that misplaced con man hoodwink me into this mess? We told him the truth. I swear we did. Okay. I hope he lives through my expense account because that little trick is going to cost him. Expense account, item four, $43. Breakfast the next morning. Over which I managed to steal a few moments alone with Dexter and his dilemma. In Chapter 7, Dexter finally came upon the corpus delicti. The only sign of life in the place was a Siamese cat playing with a ball of string. But before I could find out how the cat figured into things, the phone rang. Hello? Mr. Dollar, please. Yeah, this is Dollar. Your call to Melbourne State Hospital is ready. Oh, fine. Go ahead, please. Hello? Dr. Downer here. Uh, who is that, please? I, I am so busy. Oh, well, this is Johnny Dollar, doctor. I'm an insurance investigator. But uh, I don't want any. I, I am so busy. Please. No, doctor, investigator. I want to talk to you about a patient of yours, uh, Neil Grafter. Grafter? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, the paranoid schizophrenic. Oh, a very interesting case. A complete fragmentation of the mind, a total loss of synthesis. But uh, a... He is uh, no longer here for a while. Yeah, I, I know. He was here last night. What, what, what? Oh, uh, what, uh, what was his condition? Uh, uh, perhaps a state of passive negativism? All I know about his condition is that it's dangerous. He tried to kill his ex-girlfriend. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember extremely strong obsession. An extremely strong man. Look, I've been hired to protect this woman. Now, what I want to know is, will he try again? There is no doubt. But when? Tonight? I would say tonight, the degree of hallucinatory enmity towards this woman and everybody about her, the depths of his uh, obsession... Whoa, wait a minute, doctor, wait a minute. You're way over my head. But you do think he'll be back tonight? I am positive. Thank you, Dr. Kildare. Oh, and all Dexter has to worry about is a playful Siamese. <laughs> Waiting for a paranoiac killer can be depressing all by itself. But to make it more so, in Milwaukee, the sun went into hiding behind a layer of dark gray clouds about 4 p.m., and it started to snow. It had the mood of Wuthering Heights with icicles. At 5.30, daylight shut down, the night shift took over. And at 8, after a dinner that nobody dined on, I didn't brush my teeth, I lied in them. And uh, what kind of protective measures do you propose to make tonight, Dollar? Oh, none. As far as I'm concerned, this is a night off. Mm. Uh, Dr. Downer out at the hospital, who knows Grafter better than anyone else, says he won't be back tonight. Oh, I wish we could be sure of that. Yeah, so do I. How can he make such a positive statement? Probably because he spent his life with people like Grafter. No, I tell you, there's nothing to worry about. Miss Connolly, I want you and Ray to go out, just like you did last night. Cora and I will stay here. All right, if you think it's the thing to do. But I'm, I'm worried about Cora after what happened to her bed last night. Uh, how can we protect her? It's a little late to worry about that after you set her up. But forget it. Just to make it safe, she won't be in that room. I will. Expense account, item five, $50, refreshments. I needed something to bolster my courage, so I ordered it. 
At 2.30 a.m., things were looking good for Neil Drafter. Ray Merrick and Ann Connolly had returned from their date. Merrick had left. As Ann Connolly was trying to sleep in her room, Cora was on the couch in the living room, and there was a rolled-up blanket in her bed to make it look like that's where she was. And me? I was out in the snow, huddled near the incinerator, with an iron poker freezing to my hand, with a good view of the house and a poor outlook on life. Nothing happened till about four o'clock. That's when I spotted a familiar-looking big shadow of a man moving across the garage toward the house. I got up, but a flurry of wind-driven snow swept in front of me, and when it had passed, I could still see the window to Cora's room, but I couldn't see the man. Then I heard him at Ann Connolly's window. He started away from the house, and I started toward him. I met him under the clothesline on a flying tackle. No, no. Oh, let go of me. Merrick. Let me go. Get away from me. Uh Uh-uh, Merrick, but I'll put you away. Well, how do you like that? When an insurance policy enters the picture, you can't even depend on a maniac. Now, take it easy, Cora. This is a fine time to start falling to pieces. Oh, why doesn't the doctor get here? Now, don't worry. He's coming. I've called for an ambulance. If Miss Connolly kicks off, I will hold him personally responsible. Now, look, Cora, I appreciate your feeling toward your fellow man, but Miss Connolly made a pigeon out of you. She hired you because you looked like her. She had you parade around in front of those windows wearing her clothes. I am aware of all those double dealings. She even had you sleeping in her room where Grafter almost blasted you. What I want to know is why are you so anxious about her recovery? Because she owes me a week's pay. If this sawbones doesn't pull her through, I'll sue the city of Milwaukee for my arrears. Expense account, item six. $150 for services rendered while I was on the giving end of a blood transfusion, which Ann Connolly needed before she could be moved. One item, at least, that you shouldn't balk at since she is your policyholder. The doctors give her a 50-50 chance to live, but uh, even if the scales tip the other way, I think your money is safe. Because her beneficiary, Ray Merrick, is guilty, among other things, of attempted fraud, since he planned on having Neil Grafter blamed for the shooting he did. Expense account, uh, item seven, five cents, newspaper, which reported that the police had returned Grafter to the hospital from which he had escaped. He did come back, as Dr. Kildare said he would. But uh, he was a little late and missed the party. Uh, Item 8, $55.10. Airfare, Milwaukee to Hartford. Expense account total? Oh, yeah, Dexter Payne. You know, I never did finish that book. After those cats I'd been jiving with, I couldn't care less about a playful Siamese. Uh, Expense account total... $845.30. Signed, yours, uh, truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar is produced and directed by Gordon T. Hughes and stars Charles Russell. Script by Paul Dudley and Gil Dowd. Featured in the cast were Betty Lou Gerson, Sandra Gould, Bill Johnstone, John Daner, Bill Conrad. The special music is written and conducted by Leith Stevens. Your announcer is Bob Stevenson. Be sure to be with us at the same time next week when another unusual expense account is handed in by... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. A whale of a Christmas present for a few moments brain-scratching. Could be there's $54,000 in the Sing It Again jackpot now, 25000 of it in cold, hard cash, and the rest in wonderful prizes. By just listening in to Sing It Again tonight, you get a fine free Christmas present. Lots of amusing riddles, plenty of good music. And maybe you'll get that $54,000 call from Danny Seymour. Sing It Again is heard for a full hour every Saturday night on most of these same CBS stations. Stay tuned now for the Vaughn Monroe Caravan, which follows immediately over most of these same stations. This is CBS, where yours truly, Johnny Dollar, meets adventure every Saturday night 
the Columbia Broadcasting System. Hi, everyone. The holiday season is upon us, and I'll be glued to the telly for BritBox on many a night. I've already shared with you the fact that I keep up with Father Brown and Poirot at BritBox. I also check out their new stuff, like the new series Archie, which tells the story of Archie Leach, otherwise known to millions of filmgoers as Cary Grant. This story comes from his daughter Jennifer Grant and ex-wife Diane Cannon. It's a series. The performance of Jason Isaacs, who plays Cary Grant, is top-notch. I highly recommend it. You can only find it on my favorite TV, BritBox. Sign up to BritBox today to stream Archie and other fan favorites today from any device. I have a special limited-time offer for my U.S. and Canadian listeners. Get 50% off your first month when you sign up for a monthly plan, but only if you go to BritBox.com and use my promo code 1001STORIES at checkout. Don't wait. Get 50% off your first month. Just use promo code 1001STORIES at BritBox.com. Try it. You'll like it. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. They say big game hunting is a sport only for the wealthy. Well, it didn't cost me much, except almost my life. This is another in the adventures of America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator, Johnny Dollar. At insurance investigation, Johnny Dollar is only an expert. At making out his expense accounts, he's an absolute genius. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Home Office, Britannia Underwriters Association, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of my expenditures during my investigation of the unscheduled performances in Maximilian Sandro's Animal Show. Or, all they needed was a clown, and then I showed up. Or, I once thought I'd run away with a circus. This one I wanted to run away from. Expense account, item one, $70.21, train and cab fare from Hartford to a vacant lot just outside Brunswick, Georgia, the winter quarters of Maximilian Sandro's animal show. The first animal to show was an elephant. Mister, where can I find Maximilian Sandros? Hey, uh, Mister, I want to ask you a question. Please, you're not so loud. You upset the Blanca. I'm going to try to teach you an aria for next season. An aria? Well, that should set opera back ten years. Ah, sweet Blanca, sweet. That's the only musical elephant in the world. The Pocky Dermachanto. Well, look, I'll stop interrupting rehearsal if you'll tell me where I can find your boss. Maximilian Sandro. My boss? Yeah. <laughs> it is I. I am Maximilian Sandro. Oh, well, good. I'm Johnny Dollar from the insurance company. Oh, let's make it something else. Blanca, you rest. I'm going to come back when I'm through with Mr. Dollar. Well, as I understand yeah. it, Mr. Sandro. Oh, that's a poor Blanca. She don't like to see me go. You know, she's like a puppy for me. But this is the new black leopard that's uh, the beginning of all of my trouble. I'm going to show you to her. Someone has tried to steal her. And that's what I don't want, Mr. Dollar. Well, since Britannia Underwriters insured her for 20000 that is what they don't want, too. Monsieur, that cost me too much to get her from Africa. To lose her, that would ruin my financials. Everything would go. Ah. <laughs> These are my monkeys. Yeah. Hi. Uh, look, Mr. Sandro, how does anybody go about stealing a neat little package like a black leopard? And why? Why? Mm -hmm. Because she's a very special leopard. She's a very big, a very shiny. I'm going to name her Ashanti. 
she's going to be my prize attraction. There's a lot of animal shows would like to have her. Oh, you uh, suspect your competition? Oh, see. Si. Well, when was the attempt made? One night last week, they make with the truck. They tried mm. to pull her cage away, and we saved her just in the time. Oh, see, it's my finches, the parakeets, and the toucan. And this is my crow. Yeah. Very nice. Colorful. Uh, did you try and trace the truck? Man, no, so no way to trace. They went away. Whoosh! No lights. And it's something else that's not right at all. So, yeah, what's that? I'm going to make a big plan. I'm going to get all the money I can put a hands on to buy her from this man at Tex Randall. And now he said the money that was enough before is not enough now. He think he cheated me, this Randall. Well, I'd like to help you with that too, Mr. Sandro, but uh, I'm afraid that's your problem. My job is to see that your leopard isn't stolen. I see, I know. You get to pay for your job, but you do it. And that's... Oh, no. There is a shot. There is my leper. I guess somewhere way down in the tap roots of my family tree, there probably was an ancestor with a low forehead, bearskin overalls, and a club who went into an unpleasant double take when he found himself face to face with a leopard. I know the feeling I had when I saw a shanty was inherited from somebody. My feet wanted to run, but my eyes wouldn't leave her as she paced back and forth in about a 12 by 12 cage. Baleful yellow eyes set in a sable black face, ears laid back and tail lashing in anger, and lips that drew up showing the nastiest set of choppers I've ever seen. She was beautiful, all right, but my vote would have oh, gone to the no, iron no, bars no. that separated us. So they were downright gorgeous. Don't waste the time on the walk back in a fort. You'll be a good girl. Pretty soon you and me will be good friends. You see, Mr. Dollar, right now, Ashanti, she's a very angry, she's a boil inside. But I'm a know my animals. So not long, she's going to eat out of my hand. Yeah, well, she looks like she'd make a meal out of it right up to the elbow. Oh, hey, Slamdor. what? Oh, you. Who's this hombre? This is Mr. Dollar. He's a come from the insurance company. Well, howdy, Mr. Dollar. I'm Tex Randall. This is the man I tell you about. How are you? You mean you captured this thing? Yeah, I brung her in from the Togo Territory in West Africa. I thought my racket was tough sometimes. What'd you use, catnip? Nope. I dug me a pit, covered her with a mat and some dirt, put me a fresh-killed goat in the middle, and when the cat fell in, I got some ropes on her and... Trust her up. You make it sound simple. Oh, see, so make it sound simple. Then why does it cheat to me? Why don't stay with the first prize? Hey, now you take a listen to me, Sandro. I told you I'd give you your money back and sell this cat somewhere else. The trip cost more than I thought it would. And I ain't about to lose dough on it just to make you happy. Um, uh, sometimes I'm a think you don't talk straight. I'm going to go back to my elephant now, Mr. Dollar. Okay, Mr. Sandro. I'll check with the letter. He spent too much time talking to critters. You oh. don't make no sense out of nothing. Right. I'm glad you're here, Dollar. I ain't been 20 yards away from this cat since I got her here. Been bunking in that sleeping bag every night right close to the cage. Now maybe I can get a break. Well, then you must have been here the night somebody tried to put the snatch on her. Did you spot anybody? Nobody I could be sure of. Except maybe the little blonde guy. He left me something to remember him by. Wait till I pull my shirt up. Look at there. Look at there on my back. Just took the stitches out today. Oh, ouch. Ouch is right. A little runt caught me half in and half out of my sleeping bag. Doc says if that knife blade had gone in another hair's breadth, I'd have been spilled. And with that happy thought, Tex Randall, a hard man to kill, left to go into town. I watched a shanty tear into enough raw meat to keep a kennel of Great Danes happy for a week, after which she settled down for what you might call the original catnap. Sandro's elephant settled down to a short vocal lesson, and I settled down for a game of mumbly peg. But before I could get warmed up, I had a visitor. Hello. Wow, the Ava Gardner type with darker hair and olive skin. You look as though you could use some company, Mr. Dollar. Well, who couldn't? I was beginning to think the only females around here walked in all fours. I've had the same feeling about the males. Then, uh, then he didn't mention me. Who? Pop, the boss. Oh, no, no. Uh, Sandro didn't mention much of anything but his black leopard. Well, I'm Angela, his daughter. Oh, I see. He probably forgot to mention you on purpose, hoping to keep my mind where it belongs, on my work. 
Well, that's what I came to talk to you about. What can you do? You can't stay with the Shanti for the rest of her life, can you? Well, before I found out about you, I would have said no. Oh, please be serious. All right. There's only one thing to do. If the leopard isn't safe here, and from what I've seen and heard, I don't think she is, I'll just have to take her someplace else until this is all cleared up. Take her someplace else? Mm-hmm. Well, that would break Dad's heart. It would break the heart of the company that hired me if a shanty turned up missing. Look, he can't take her on the road until next summer. We'll keep her safe until then. I'm sorry, but it's, it's all I can do. Oh, poor Dad. He's going to hate you for it, you know. Oh, well, that I can stand. But, uh... There's no sense you're wasting our time feeling the same way. I didn't say I would, did I? As a matter of fact, I was going to stay right here until you asked me out to dinner. Or something. Oh, well, let's not hurry. Stick around. I'll figure out where to invite you when I know you better. And there, during the waning hours of the Georgia day, I learned that, up to a point... Angela was an easy girl to know. She liked cocktails, dinner, and dancing, so that's the schedule we set up for later. As soon as Tex Randall showed up to temporarily relieve me of my duties as leopard sitter. But at martini time, I was still sitting. And may I say that the cocktail hour spent in the middle of a menagerie is not the restful period it's supposed to be. As soon as the sun dropped, the noise rose. Wild brains in caged bodies reacting to the night, instinctively telling the countryside that whether they were free or not, this was their hunting time. I not only felt like Tarzan of the Apes, I felt uneasy. A shanty complained to me. A light from somewhere behind me glinted in her eye, then disappeared as she started her back and forth pacing again. Sounded like she was trying to tell me something. She was. I was too stupid to understand it. Oh! Whatever hit me from behind didn't land hard enough. I stayed on my feet, but a pair of strong hands twisted my arms behind my back, and one hand pushed my wrist into a double hammerlock. The point of a knife was jabbed into my back and started moving me forward toward the cage. The leopard stopped her pacing as she saw me coming. She reached out between the bars for me, her great paw spread, claws extended. The last thing I saw was her snarling face and the paw reaching. Then there was a lunge behind me and something hit my head again. The cocktail hour was over. I'd passed out without a drink. In just a moment, we will return to the second act of Johnny Dollar. But first, last week, Vaughn Monroe's caravan saluted the Rose Bowl team. Tonight, Vaughn will play the favorite songs of Louisiana State and Oklahoma, the Sugar Bowl team. Vaughn's caravan will also bring you the five top tunes of the week as chosen by Variety. And later, Gene Autry will be here with his Western music and cowboy humor. The Vaughn Monroe Caravan and the Gene Autry Show are regular Saturday evening features of most of the same CBS stations. Now with our star, Charles Russell, we return to the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Well, sir... I don't know how I lived through that one, but as it turned out, I did. When I opened my eyes, I was still in Georgia, but that condition was about all that hadn't changed, for the worse. My head was not only aching in the back, but a new lump had been born above the bridge of my nose. But nothing else had been added. When I finally got to my feet, I saw that only a trace was left of a shanty, the Black Leopard. A pair of ruts in the dirt made when her wheeled cage had been hauled away. I started out to find Sandro on a telephone, but one of my feet found something else before I'd taken three steps. I didn't know how he had gotten where I was supposed to be, but he'd made it. Tex Randall, his neck twisted and the marks of claws on the side of his battered head. Hello? 
Police Department, Central Precinct, Sergeant Miller. Hello, my name is Dollar. I'm an insurance investigator. I'm calling from the winter quarters of the Maximilian Sandro's Animal Show from the owner's trailer. I want to report two things. Yeah, well, wait a minute. There's a body out here that your coroner ought to take a look at, either accidental or murder. Hey, Lieutenant, get on Two, grand larceny. Somebody stole a black leopard. Oh, now, listen, this is your idea of a joke, fella. It's too late to joke, Sergeant. Just send some men out. I'll give them the rest of the story when they get here. Joke yet? What passes for humor in Georgia anyway? Hey, Sandro! Sandro, come home! Nobody answered me but an old Libyan lion. So I shut up. I browsed around Sandro's trailer while I was waiting for the police. I wasn't looking for anything, but I found it. On a table, there was a small Christmas tree that had been transformed into what is commonly known as a friendship tree, meaning that about a half a dozen Christmas cards were hung on with cellophane tape. There was nothing else to read, so I scanned through those. And the third one I opened, opened my eyes. It was inscribed, Sorry, I can't be with you. Greetings from San Francisco. Your loving daughter, Angela. Before I could fully digest that tidbit, I heard a shoe scrape on the steps outside. Then the trailer door opened. Well, here he is, then. I told you we'd find him here. Yes, yes. Very good, my dear. The man with the Angela by whom I had so recently been taken in looked 50-ish, capable, suntanned, and well-armed. Well, 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 Mr. Dollar. You don't appear to be surprised. Well, after what's happened already tonight, I wouldn't be surprised if General Sherman dropped in on his way back from the sea. <laughs> yes, splendid, splendid. I admire a show of courage, a sense of humor at the point of a gun. Oh, think nothing of it. Sometimes my jokes are so funny, they kill people. I think we'd better get him out of here, Ben. I don't think it's safe. Yes, you took the words right off the tip of my tongue, my dear. Shall we go, Mr. Dollar? Should I ask where and why? I've taken a small place in town. There is our leisure. We shall discuss a fascinating subject. Hmm? Namely, the whereabouts of a splendid black leopard. <laughs> Move right ahead, Mr. Dollar. Oh, my dear, run up to Harold's room. Fetch him down. I may need him. All right, then. Into this room, Mr. Dollar. And uh, please be seated. If you don't mind my asking, Ben, how do you manage... My dear sir, Hmm? it just so happens that my full name and title is Sir Bennett Mountfort. The term of familiarity, Ben, is to be used only by my closest friends. Now, if you will couch your question properly... Oh, it wasn't important. I just wondered, since that gun seems to be so much a part of you, how do you manage without shooting yourself while shaving? <laughs> You've a ready wit, haven't you? I know the proper time and place for a weapon, my boy. I've learned from experience. I chose early in youth as my avocation the hunting of big game. If you had faced the last desperate charge of a wounded lion or a maddened rhino as I faced them, you too would realize that a good weapon properly aimed is man's best friend. Which uh, brings us to the subject of our mutual interest, the Black Leopard. Where have you hidden her? What makes you think I have? No, 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 no. Let's have no deception, sir. The report brought back by my charming accomplice, who so ably posed as the daughter of that stupid showman, Mr. Sandro, proves that you made no secret of your plan to carry off the cat to a place of safety. You will not deny that. Why should I? You wouldn't believe me if I did. Yeah. An admirable attitude, sir. Now, once more. Where is the leopard? Well, if I told you, it wouldn't be worth much as a hiding place, would it? If you do not tell me, sir, your life will be worth very little. Come now. Perhaps your loyalties are misplaced. What did that market hunter, Mr. Randall, tell you about the cat? Not much. Except that he got a knife in the back, put there by somebody who was trying to steal her. Well then, sir. I'll spin you a tale that'll set your blood to pounding. What would you say, my boy, if I told you that that black leopard is worth a king's ransom? Well, I don't know. I'd probably ask why. Well, she is, sir. And I'll tell you why. 
She was captured in the Togo Territory, West Africa. I am quite familiar with that section. I've hunted there. A district par excellence for elephant, buffalo, and situtanga. As a matter of fact, I was there before and shortly after Randall's infamous trapping of that fine beast. Did he tell you that? Well, he did. Didn't make any impression. I hear there are a lot of people in Africa. Well, to continue. The Togo territory is inhabited by the Awe tribe, a group of long-headed patrilineal people whose most interesting characteristic at this moment is the fact that they are animal worshippers. Now, does the point sink home? Vaguely. That leopard Randall snagged is important to them. Is that it? Yes, yes, precisely. You struck it. And they'll pay a veritable fortune for her return. One hundred thousand dollars in gold. And now that I've uh, let the cat out of the bag, so to speak, uh, do you have a price in mind? In return for which you will share with me the hiding place of the animal? Yeah, you go on back to Togo and I'll cable you the address. Ah, it's obvious, sir, that you are not in full command of your senses. Harold! Harold! Yes, hold your horses. I'm coming. Look, if Harold is your violence department, Ben, you can save your breath and his muscles. I'm not having any. Stay where you are, sir. I give you fair warning. Oh, nuts to your fair warning. If you want to find that black leopard, and I'm the only one that knows where she is, you're not going to do it by puncturing me. Come back here, you fool. Come back here. Take it easy, Ben. I'll get him from the stairs. That's far enough, Mr. Dollar. You better call off your infantry, Ben. All right, wise guys. Here it comes. Adam, wait. Let him go. What's the matter? You crazy? He's going to steal me. Let him go, lest Randall have the upper hand. Oh, brother. As I went out, I caught a glimpse of the man Mountford had called Harold, the same little blonde runt Randall had talked about. That wrapped up the question of who had played tic-tac-toe with a knife on the Texan. But ten yards of Sir Ben's front walk later, I suddenly remembered Mountford's last words. Lest Randall have the upper hand, he said. It sounded like he didn't know Randall was dead, which shook my head and in a strictly nonsensical way made sense. Well, there was only one place for me to go, so that's where I went. Back to Maximilian Sandro's Animal Show. When I got there, I was awake. But all the smart animals were asleep. Except for one. Mr. Dollar! Maximilian Sandro hailed me from the lee side of a tent. Come in, Mr. Dollar, into the shadows. The police is by my trailer. Where have you been, Sandro? I was hiding. But I worry so much about you. When I come back, where you are? You're not there. What do you mean by your black leopard's cage? I'd left. That place had unpleasant memories for me. Oh, see, see, me too. I'm a sad one. You see, when I'm a see that man, Randall, he's a push you to the cage with a knife. I'm a go crazy. I'm a nothing. I'm a run up and a push. So then you fall, you hit your head in the bottom of the cage. And then Ashanti... She hit the Randall instead, and I'm so sorry. Oh, uh, uh, don't bother with an apology to me. No, 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 you don't understand. Look, I'm going to commit the murder. With these two hands, I'm going to push him on the leper. Oh, well, there's such a thing as justifiable homicide. You were saving my life. So let's not worry about it until it gets to court, if it does. Where did you take your cat? Oh, you know that... Nobody else has her, so you must. You were at the right place at the right time to haul her away. All right. I tell you true. See, I take her away where she's safe. I keep her where she is until this trouble is no more. Oh, now, listen to me, Sandro. I know how you feel, but I've met the people who were after your leopard. They say they can get $100,000 for her back in Africa. $100,000? Consequesto. For that kind of money, they'll never stop looking for her. The only way to stop them is to let them find her. And then we'll try and wind this thing up. Wind up? It's a mean finish? Yeah. Oh. I'm pretty sure I've been followed here. Now, will you take me to the hideout? Oh, no, sir. These people, they follow you there. I'm oh, no like that. I don't either, Sandro. $100,000 worth of cheese would even make a mouse. <laughs> Oh, 
Sandro was a hard man to convince. I wasted more words than a Republican campaigner, and then I used blackmail. Then I told him I'd turn him in for Randall's killing and testify against him instead of for him. He saw things my way. The leopard's lair turned out to be an abandoned barn, five miles farther out of town, to which we went in a truck that Sandro had driven into that jungle-type vacant lot. Now, come. This way, please. This way. Okay. It's a little inside the door. Shanty was performing that old dance of hers again, pacing the length of her cage back and forth, her head swinging rhythmically each time she turned. We'd made ourselves easy enough to follow on the way out, but my neck was getting stiff from helping my eyes follow the leopard's movements before I heard a sound outside the door. It sounded like a bolt jamming a shell into the chamber of a rifle, and that's what it was, because a rifle was what Sir Bennett Mountford was carrying when the trio came in. the door, Harold. I just did. You, my dear, stay here rather pounds away. Yes, dear. I'll be all right. Well, Mr. Dollar, I would say that the long stock is successfully completed. The search ended. You're quite a hunter, Mountford. Somebody should crown you with a coonskin cap <laughs> with a raccoon still living in it. <laughs> yes. I'm glad to see you enjoying yourself, sir. Since the time for levity is on the wing, so to speak. Harold. Yeah, name it. Keep these two in your sights with a ready finger on the trigger. I'll set about putting this vicious cat out of existence. Well, no, no, he's not shooting by your shanty. Hey, Montford, are you crazy? Put that rifle down. Shut up, Dollar. You aren't running things. Montford, if that cat's worth a hundred grand alive, why kill her? Because we shall realize a much greater profit with her dead. Namely, a half million of uncut diamonds that are hidden in the floor of her cage. Diamonds? Well, they couldn't have been safer, could they? Precisely Randall's idea when he put them there in Africa. Now stand aside, sir. I don't wish to fire through your head, but I will if I must. No. No, he's in a shoot my shot. Hey, watch that maniac. He's going to let that cat out. Then stop him. That fast. Don't move. I'll meet her charge. No, Shanty, run. Run for your life. Mountford had a lot of guts, but sometimes luck helps, and that night he didn't have any. Ashanti sprang straight through the little door of her cage. She was still in the air when she went past him, head high, and as she did, one of her fatal front paws reached out for him. It looked almost delicate, but the force of the blows sent Mountford clear across the barn, and when he landed, he didn't move. Ashanti streaked toward a square of night sky showing through a window, and she was gone. Ashanti! Ashanti, come back. I turned back, away from the window, to check on the rest of our guests, but they were gone. Apparently, there was something about a leopard on the loose that had made a half a million dollars in diamonds, not as important to Harold and the phony Angela as distance between them and that barn. So, there I was, suddenly left with nothing to worry about. If you can call enough diamonds to stock the Kimberley mines, nothing. Expense account, item two. Uh, item two? A case like this and I haven't laid up a cent. Oh, well, Christmas is coming. Item two, three dollars. Cab fare from Brunswick Police Headquarters to hotel after giving them my statement, which they didn't believe until they saw those diamonds. Then they sent out a three-state alarm to pick up the phony Angela and Montford's shiv man, Harold. And expense account, item three, seventy dollars and twenty-one cents. Uh, train and cab fare, Brunswick to Hartford. Oh, and uh, this advice I'll toss in for free. At last report, a shanty was seen headed west toward Okefenokee Swamp, and Sandra was organizing a group to go after her. My advice is this. Don't insure the lives of those men. If you want to throw your money away, throw it to me. 
Uh, see, expense account total, $152.70. Signed, yours truly, Johnny, uh, Frank Buck, dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar stars Charles Russell. Tonight's script by Paul Dudley and Gil Dowd was produced and directed by Ralph Rose. Featured in the cast were Lynn Allen, Larry Dobkin, Bill Conrad, and Parley Bear. The special music is written and conducted by Leith Stevens. Your announcer, Bob Stevenson. Be sure to be with us at the same time next week when another unusual expense account is handed in by... Yours truly, Honey Dollar. Thanks for joining us at 1001 Radio Days, your home for the best of Golden Age Radio, when radio was king. If you enjoyed tonight's show, please do take a moment and send us a review. We always appreciate reviews, and they help new listeners find us. Until next time, this is your host, John Hagedorn. Stay safe, and we'll be back soon at 1001 Radio Days. And one note, don't forget to pick up 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. That's 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and we'll be back soon.